Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. Divorce in the ultra-high net worth space is a little bit different. While the emotional pain is the same, the stakes are higher and the process can be more complicated. Olivia Summerhill joins us to help us think through the issues. In her practice, Olivia has seen the devastating effects of divorce on stay-at-home mothers in ultra-high net worth families. Having developed her financial career at J.P. Morgan, Olivia broke out on her own and started her own firm focusing on the space. I spoke with Olivia on the ins and outs of team building around a divorce, her unique business model focusing on ultra-high net worth women, and her advice for people going through the process. Welcome aboard, Olivia. Thanks for having me today. Pleasure to be here. So you have a really cool situation. You've started up your practice, and that's an entrepreneurial story in and of itself. How did you get to the point where you made the leap to start your own practice? And then we'll get into more some more details around centering it around divorce and ultra high net worth and women dealing with these issues. But how did you take the leap? It's a big jump. It's scary. And where did it come from? And how did you affect it? Ooh, great question. So I was so comfortable in wealth management, managing assets, great firm, <laughs> great clients. So for me to actually take the leap, it was terrifying out of my comfort zone. And I actually hired a career coach just to help me get out of the comfort zone, grow a little bit, see what else I can do within that comfort zone and grow just with clients that I currently had. And it was with that experience with my career coach that it kind of shined the light of you could open your own practice and really help a need. There's a specific need out there. And you can actually do that yourself and just cater to that market. So it was the eye-opening experience with my career coach and the confidence booster, because it is terrifying to do something on your own when you're so comfortable. So really having that career coach helped me actually make the jump and do it at the right time. Were there any specific strengths and weaknesses that you focused on when you went into it? You're like, okay, I'm good at this. I help people see things. Maybe I take the complicated and make it simple. Then, at least in my case, a weakness would be I'm good at vision, good at strategy, really not great at detail sometimes. How did you inventory that and get comfortable shoring up those things that needed help and then making it easier for your strengths to shine through? So we did first right off the bat with the career coach, we did strengths and weaknesses tests. I've been doing them for 15 years on my own for fun, just to see if I changed. And I haven't changed. I am type A. I'm very time management oriented. I'm very direct. And I am one of those who, even if you have the smarts and the capabilities to talk the big talk, I never make clients feel that way. I want them to, over the years, understand that finances is scary and they're okay not knowing the words that I might know. So I make it really easy to understand. So I knew some of my strengths. I knew a lot of my weaknesses. And one of those is patience. And another one of those is people-pleasing boundaries. So that was probably the most excruciating process is to keep with boundaries before I started the business. So within my day-to-day scheduling, not just saying yes to everything, not just picking up the phone if someone called and just changing my day for others. So I created a structure, 
set boundaries. And when I started my firm, it was extremely unusual for people to hear that, oh, she's scheduling out three to six months in advance to do something or an interview or a show or something of the nature of that kind of thing. Meeting a new professional, it was very rare, but I've loved keeping that boundary because then I'm not scheduling my day overloaded and keeping my old self, which was a workaholic in the the front end. I now have a very easygoing practice and I love the boundaries I've set, but that was a huge weakness. Oh, that's very instructive. And I'm taking notes here because I need to work on that for myself. (laughs) So let's focus on the practice a little bit. You focus on a few specific niches, larger situations. You like the ultra high net worth space. And for a lot of listeners of the podcast, they will relate to that well. But it's also women focused. And then it's also divorce focused. And so you've got a few very specific, they aren't specific by in and of themselves necessarily, but taken together, that is a very specific niche. How did you come to focus on that? And where did your expertise from your previous experience really help to inform that decision? I really knew that I can talk to affluent people, individuals, so couples, individuals, business owners, retirees that had high net worth, and I could have a conversation and make it simplified for them. I knew that as the more successful people get, the more that they want efficiency and they want someone on their trusted team to do what's right for them. And I knew I had that down as the word fiduciary is thrown around everywhere, but I really knew that I could give them the expertise that they wanted in a fast turnaround and really give them the best advice. And so I knew affluent clients were a good fit for me. I understood the world. I wasn't striving to get a client who had fame and me be all starstruck. I don't feel that way at all. I feel like they're humans just like us. So, you know, you don't get that often where with my career coach deciding on actually working with divorce, ultra high net worth women, I saw a huge need because in my practice, when I was working with affluent men, women, couples, business owners, what it might be, the women would come to me after divorce where they had their settlement, they had their options, and it just, they were not the best situations for them long-term financially. So that's where the kind of the idea clicked. And then when I hired the career coach and we were talking about all the things that I can do in my practice, we could have added the divorces to my practice, but as an advisor, you only have so much time during the day. And is that really fair to try to add this specialty to also doing investment planning, income tax, health and strategic planning, estate planning, all the other stuff that you can do, insurance planning, whatnot, and then also helping retirees, education planning. So I decided with her help and the confidence boost to start the business and only focus on that because I really thought adding that value to just women, affluent women who did not know what they were doing during the divorce, I could actually help them during the divorce, not make bad financial decisions and post-divorce, keep that good continuing education with the finances instead of trying to do everything all at once during the practice that I already had. Makes total sense. In my opinion, I think during the settlement process, there's so many key financial decisions that are made. You can add a ton of value in the order of magnitudes of, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, maybe 50% sometimes. And that by itself is going to help create a lot of not only value for your clients, but get them on an even better footing so that they can deal with issues like cash flow and lifestyle change and everything that goes along with divorce going forward. So here's a question that comes up with a lot of different advisors I talk to. How do you define that ultra high net worth 
bandwidth for your clients. I've heard there are many definitions for it. For some people, ultra high net worth is when a client is in consultantville. I put in air quotes where they've got a lot of different consultants around them. They're maybe over $100 million. Some people think ultra high net worth is when you start getting to the area where the current estate tax exemption really starts to apply and you're doing what I would call actual estate planning where you're avoiding estate taxes. How do you think about it when when you're defining a good client for your practice? So for my practice, 50 to 80 and above makes sense because there is more complex strategic planning that I can help with and really helping them not during the divorce make terrible mistakes, especially because usually what you see is in the top 1% of all the wealth, 90% of the time or more, it's the male who's dominating financial decisions. So in divorce, that is just the women don't know what they're doing. They don't know where the accounts are. So really helping them not make those bad decisions in more complex cases makes sense. Usually you hear people say 30 million is ultra high net worth. I think it has to be higher. Even what you're saying, 100 million plus. Yeah, that's more typical in my mind. It's ultra high net worth. High net worth, yes. Affluent, yes. But higher is more complex. Well, and it's something too, where if you go backward, if you went from 100 million down to 80 million, you're not going to have that big of a lifestyle shift. But if you go from 30 to 20 or from 10 to 5, then the cash flow that that generates does create a lifestyle shift. And so it sounds like what you're doing is you're thinking definitely more intergenerationally, much longer time horizons, that type of situation. Well, because these families, the complex needs, they go right into the philanthropic endeavors. And then also the children and succession planning, they don't want their children's lifestyle, even if their children are grown, they're in their 20s, it doesn't matter. So it's not just about the female, it's about her lifestyle, and then also the family's lifestyle. And obviously, the more wealth you have, usually there's business owners involved, and usually it's the male. So for me, being that guide, as well as that trusted resource for her to know, you have to have business appraisers, you have to have valuations, you have to have forensic accountants, there's a whole team around her that I'm helping facilitate and make sure she doesn't make bad decisions because I'm not going to be able to do it all. I'm not the divorce attorney, but it is helpful to have this team together in place. And that's where I come involved. So you talked a lot about that 90 to 10 ratio, or many times it's the male coming in who has either control of or domain over the wealth. How does that first meeting go with someone whom you take on as a client? You have this, what can often be very scary information asymmetry. And sounds like a lot of what you do for those clients who haven't gone through this before is you have to get them educated not only on the finances and the numbers and the dollars, but also the process. And I've seen it in dozens of situations where there are a lot of surprises that come along the way that I think is different from a traditional financial planning practice. How does that work for you? When you have that first meeting, how do you take on that client and how do you start to get them to... uh, quote unquote, come to church (laughs) and find out how the world is actually working in their current situation. First meeting, we never come to church. We never figure it out all in one meeting. And all it's about is listening and building rapport. I can build trust very quickly if I listen and I understand where she's at. So that's another thing I think that I get asked a lot of, oh my gosh, how do you work with ultra high net worth? And oh, I want to build my practice to that. How did you get there? Well, I think that a lot of people don't understand that everyone has emotions. And if you're going through divorce, 
I don't care the amount of money you have. You're still going to be going through pain and you have to sit there and listen to that person and not just assume like what I hear a lot is, oh, well, if you have money, you don't have problems. Not at all. That's the absolute, not the truth in my mind. So listening and just being there and saying, it's okay to feel these feelings right now. And the first meeting is building rapport, listening, and not at all trying to educate or give advice. Cause that's what all of the advisors have done in the past for them. And I'm talking about wealth advisors, attorneys, anyone else that they've been thrown into meetings with over the years of their marriage that they don't even know what's going on in the meeting. All these big terms are thrown at them saying, yes, you need to sign here. You need to sign here. They're shaking their head, intimidated, pretending they know what's going on. I'm not about to throw anything at them and say, you need to understand this, or you need to let's educate you on this. Nope. Just listening and building rapport. And then we go on and it is a very easy process from there. So you mentioned before that this divorce process requires a really good team. And you and I both know it's complicated. It involves experts from different fields, not just the divorce lawyer. You need the legal, the tax, the investment, estate planning, psychological oftentimes, administrative scheduling, which I think is an unsung issue, especially coming out of divorce. How do you manage timetables with a different situation than you had before? What do you think a good team looks like? And how do you integrate your practice into that situation as that develops? So a good team to me is all about communication. Also, I'm going to throw in their efficiency. I am not about to waste her time trying to schedule eight people to get into a room together and take two months to do it because everyone's schedule is so busy and we all like to show how busy we are and how booked we are and how we push other clients away. <laughs> That's not okay with me. So for me, my team members, whoever I refer to or whoever I actually am going to be trusted team member with has to be very good at communication, get back to me efficiently and fast. Because if they're treating me the way I want to be treated, which is I need to have responses quickly. My clients aren't going to want to wait five days for a response from them. So if they don't respond to me for five days, that's a big key red flag for me. So I won't refer to that person. So I very much, the team has to communicate well, and they have to be very quick responding because divorce, some of them can go very long. Of course, it could be a battle. It could be a very long process that goes very much a year, two, three, four, but if you can have a team together that works together and they communicate, it goes a lot faster and a lot smoother and a lot less pain for the client. How do you decide who the quarterback is or if there isn't? There are going to be some people, the divorce lawyer is going to say, I'm in charge, or maybe there's a different financial advisor who's managing the money or something like that. And I've dealt with it where it's not just a process, but it's also an important sort of situation where knowing your place within the team is nice. And sometimes teams need leadership and other times they just need the skill set. And how do you think about that and integrate what you do into the teamwork? So that's a great way of putting it is that you have to know your place and every situation is different. Every divorce is different. So sometimes it is the divorce attorney who they're good at being leaders. They're the ones that the client can go to for everything as the quarterback, but you're part of that team. A lot of the times what I'm finding, which I guess is a really big positive is the client is coming to me to get reassurance. So even if it's just a text message, Hey, this is what my divorce attorney said, or here's what the CPA is looping me in on. Can you review all of these decisions? I think in my mind, the best is knowing who's the place of 
what's the direct communication to the client. And a lot of the times it is the divorce attorney, but another part of that is the divorce analyst. So that's what I do. The CDFA certified divorce financial analyst role. So it depends, but I'd say divorce attorney. And then that analyst is the top two that will be that quarterback. The client really is reassured by them. Cause I mean, if you think about it, the insurance person, the therapist is part of the team. There's definitely a huge need. I love my divorce realtors. That's huge. Cause if you have six, seven properties, you have to have someone who knows divorce, who's trying to help you with the properties, but they're not the quarterback. So I'd say it's me or the divorce attorney. So tell us a little bit about sort of the divorce advisor versus say a financial consultant or an investment manager, because I think there are definitely niches within the big bolt bracket banks and RIAs that say, oh, I deal with divorce and we manage money accordingly. You take a different tack toward it. I think that'd be interesting to hear, A, what led you to that and what those big differences are. So I hear all the time when I tell financial planners, financial advisors, wealth managers, investment, whatever you want to say your title is in the finance world. I do hear people saying, oh yeah, I help with divorce. And literally the next sentence that they say is, oh, you know, one or two, maybe up to five a year. And they really don't actually understand what they do within that divorce. They don't do much. And so I saw that when I was in my wealth management practice that, okay, the ladies are coming to me after the divorce. I'm really not helping with the divorce at all. Maybe I can help them with whatever money they bring to me. Great. But that's not the divorce practice that I started. So the consulting and the analyst work is actually splitting up the assets, helping with the short and long-term projections of property settlement. What's the best ideas for cash flow? helping with everything during and post-divorce financially with the divorce. So talking about the basis and which stocks to take and which accounts to take, the pre-tax, post-tax, whatever you want to talk about, they're unaware of all of that. So financial planners, financial advisors in general, doesn't matter if you're at a broker dealer, an RIA, whatever you're doing, usually if you want to actually specialize You have to get the certification and then actually only do that. And I don't see many people doing it as their practice, solely as their practice like I am. And I think it's the right thing to do because you can't, again, like I was, can't do retirement planning. And I was managing all these different retirement plans, hundreds of millions of dollars just for participants with talking to business owners, with talking to individuals, planning for education of their five to nines. Like it just, you can't do it all. The holistic approach works in some ways. You can bring in team members, but for me, starting it and only working with women, only working in divorce and only working with the finances made a lot of sense. Well, and I analogize it a little bit. It's like those groups of people who advise business owners. And that's a very big amorphous label to put on something that requires a lot of special in-depth knowledge. And I like the idea of what you're talking about where not just in terms of what I'd call the marketing niche, but also the expertise that you're bringing. You're helping to, in many ways, recast a business that is broken or different and going forward. That's a lot different than asset allocation and, again, that retirement planning. And those are two different skill sets. The point's well taken with me that sometimes, especially at the levels that we're talking about, that 50 million level, et cetera, those mistakes those are millions of dollars that go away and it can be for the best of reasons, but it really requires individualized tailored experience. So you talked also about boundaries. 
and sort of setting things up. One area where I've dealt with different divorce situations, et cetera, is in the trying to make sure that I'm not the psychologist or the therapist. And then also along with that, the part that gets very difficult and emotional is in the area of child custody. They're vital, important components of the divorce process, but it's also something that can become all-consuming, and it's not necessarily what you're focused on. How do you build the boundaries around that when that is top of mind probably for a lot of your clients, but not necessarily what you're supposed to be doing? So it is a fine line of when you are listening and you are taking in the information she's giving to you and she is in an emotional state, one of the first things I'm recognizing or understanding is, does she already have a team in place of a therapist? Sometimes, I mean, it's probably a 60-40 of she already has someone she's been working with or they were doing marriage counseling and she just needs another referral to an individual counselor or therapist. But when they don't have someone and it is outside of the range of where I'm comfortable at, because I am not a therapist, not going to go there and I'm not going to cross that boundary, I will absolutely refer. And that's a whole nother topic of referring and networking and all of that. Because again, trusted contacts is very hard to find, especially with this high level of net worth. You have to send them to the right person who's not impressed by their wealth. And with that as well, it's just the child custody. That's a whole different ball game. I'm not an expert at that. And I'm not, I don't want to be, I want to get the right person involved. So I will bring in the right people for the right situations. And a lot of times it is those two individuals. So having someone as a child expert helping through divorce and helping all those decisions that needs to be made, I'm not going to touch it. And then also the therapist, if it's more than just listening and getting on to the next set of events and then listening, helping through that pain process, I will get a therapist involved if they don't already have one. So when, assuming that that gets sort of farmed out correctly to the right people to help the client on that front, then mothers are going to be very protective of their kids, especially their financial strengths and weaknesses. Do you integrate with that as well? And you're saying, okay, now the emotional part is taken care of somewhere. This is the part when you're talking about child one, two, and three, helping them think through what that looks like from a next generation perspective. And is that part of your practice? Yes. So I don't talk about where the custody should be and how many days I do though, bring up, well, you're telling me that you want hundred percent custody because you've raised them for 15 years and no one else can do your job. And I understand that. However, let's look at a different perspective that if he is wanting to be in their life and he's saying that on the other side of the table, is there possibility that you could allow for that to happen? So there is those conversations where it gives them more of an open mind because what I do see is there's a huge protective nature with women, with the children. And it's also an ego. I've had many conversations with mediators and divorce attorneys and those who have been divorced that there's a perception in our culture that the women should fight for 100% custody and they should absolutely take control of everything that they have with the children because that's their job. That's what they've been known to do. That's their identity. So during divorce, my job without getting too involved with that part is opening their minds to talking about, okay, what does that structure look like? And is that actually the best thing for you? So I know that you've even talked about in your book about being 
really more of a oh gosh, it's respectively selfish. I think that's something along those lines. And I loved that term because I've said that to clients all the time is this is actually a really good new identity and it's a really good process to actually take care of yourself. And if you actually talk about the options and what I do is I lay out the financial options. Okay. Here's the, and I have all the calculations in my software and we talk about the different options of keeping the kids this amount of time, this amount of time, and this amount of time throughout the year. And what it looks like is giving them a little more time to themselves to actually do things for themselves because they haven't. I don't care about how much wealth you have and how many nannies you have and how little other people think you do with the kids. You still are focused on the kids. And sometimes it's best to take a step a little bit back and focus on yourself. So I do bring that up and give them options. Cool. No, that's important. And it gets into larger, longer time horizon discussions that there's so many tools that you can use to effectuate those longer term goals and divorce just becomes all consuming and can just swamp you. And the client then is just sort of like, oh my gosh. And you lose a lot of potential positives that you might've been able to do at this sort of fulcrum moment when you could be making big decisions. So to that end, let's get into something a little bit, I guess it's sort of more nitty gritty or technical. A huge issue that I see in divorce situations is understanding kind of the difference between cash flow and illiquid wealth. And I'm sure you see it where you have situations, the man is either earning a high income or they have a huge private equity interest or they own a family business or they own one stock or a hedge fund or something like that. And the integration of the strategy around dividing those assets in an equitable way for both spouses at the same time, doing it in a way that doesn't blow up the franchise or create a nasty taxable event, et cetera. I've seen this over and over again where that can get ugly very quickly and it can get very complicated too. Where do you fit in on that? Are you part of the team that is, you're not only analyzing it from a financial perspective, but you're part of the team to say, look, if we do this this way, the husband is going to hit a they're going to get a 30% tax bill with no real change in ownership exactly. And that's 70% of the assets that we all can enjoy at the moment. How do you think about that? Absolutely. You just said it. So you, you answered the question because it's Yikes. all about <laughs> giving the options financially. And my job is not, yes, I am the advocate for the female and I am absolutely the person in the room that's powerfully helping her make the right decisions, but I am not out to have them lose all their assets in a big fight. That makes no sense financially for her or him. So it is laying out the options on what makes sense and getting the right people involved. So a lot of the times it's going to be getting the numbers from those trusted business valuations or seeing what is in those stock options that he has and how long have they been married versus how long is it going to be till that, that let's just say pension is over and he's actually going to be taking and also the insurance aspect of everything, where the kids play into all of this. So laying all those numbers out, but giving options and working through those and then starting that education process for her specifically is really helpful. And then what is great is the lawyers work together too and say, oh, wow, this is really easy to understand. So they're take it to the other side of the table too. So it's not like it's just her making the decision that's best for her. It really helps the whole team as well, equitably, what you're saying. Yeah. And also, it seems to me that done correctly, you're arming the divorce attorney for her with good leverage points. 
oftentimes you're not necessarily it's not going to be sort of this black or white situation but if you're willing to take certain things from one pot and give back on the other that can make the negotiation flow more smoothly if that comes from an informed space from her side of things from her long-term financial goals etc that's just a better overall process and that's where you're trying to help make that an informed decision and an informed choice Yes. And I have divorce attorneys call me when they're in mediation just to ask questions really quick. And it's just wonderful to give informed decisions so that the divorce attorney gives the best overall decision for their client, which it's funny because before I got into the divorce space, I thought divorce attorneys knew everything. (laughs) I thought they specialized in the financial aspects, but it is absolutely astonishing how much calls I do get about the little, because they feel comfortable, which is good. I feel like that's a good trust thing that they do feel comfortable to call and feel vulnerable, not knowing the answer, but it is shocking how much calls I get about simple financial aspects that would have been detrimental if they didn't ask these questions to me. So it's great. It's a wonderful, it's a very good feeling. It's complicated. I mean, the divorce process in and of itself is not only complicated and hard and state to state, and client to client, but the assets underneath them are complicated. And to expect one world to understand the other is tough. To me, it underscores the need for a really good team. And again, I don't want to sound too impressed, but I really like the idea of having someone like you in the corner acting as an advocate for the client in a thoughtful way in these big situations. It's really sort of a great second set of eyes in many cases for larger global decisions that are being made. And I like the way you take that approach. So what happens when the information isn't forthcoming? What if it's really contentious and you're not getting enough information to do your job well? And that can come certainly from his side of things, from that spouse being contentious and not handing over the right information, etc. But even to I'm sure some spouses on her side of the fence are sort of like, I'm not comfortable. I don't understand. I'm not, how do you break that ice? And that must happen early in the process or you're not being very helpful. (laughs) I love it. So again, going back to efficiency, I'm not going to waste time. I just, I can already tell you the majority of the time, the other side's not forthcoming, but because of my experience, not only in banking, but then in wealth management, I know where to find hidden assets, or I know already I'm going to look at the tax returns the last five years. Don't even, I don't play around with waiting for certain things. Yes, there's discovery with the attorney. We're not going to mess with that. We're not going to do anything that I'm not supposed to do. But if I can go work around faster and get the financial information from the female who, again, never has known where to find any of this, and I help her through finding certain information she's allowed to because she's joint on it or whatnot, like the tax return, I will. And what I do see is even the tax return, a simple example, is that a lot of the times she was never even signing it over the years. He would just, you know, it's electronic or just ask her some questions and she's not looking at it. She trusts her husband. So almost all the cases are there's something hidden He's been planning the divorce for years. So he has different accounts. She's never known where the finances is. She's just swiping her credit card for 80,000 a month. She doesn't know there's a limit or not. She's unaware of these situations. So I can find the basics when you're asking 
where do you go from there when you really, you have no clue what's in the business and he's part owner or whatever it may be. That's where I get my powerhouse people that I've built relationships with involved to help the divorce attorney through the discovery process, because I can't do much when it comes to getting that information, but I will help with the process because it's not in my mind. It's not okay to, we're not going to let this go. Cause a lot of the times the females want to throw in the towel. And that's what I saw before I started my practice is they just want to give up. They want to start over. They're done. Give them everything. I'm sick of this. I can't do it. No, I'm, that's not going to, for me, I'm going to help you through the process, but we're not going to give up because you're going to lose out. You're not going to be able to retire. Retirement doesn't mean that you're just, uh, yeah, I could go on forever on this. I'm a big advocate. (laughs) No, and people should not necessarily have to go backward in lifestyle either. And sometimes they don't understand that there are numbers that need to be in place in order to support that. And when they don't understand where that came from before, why jump to that decision until you know? So this goes to the next follow-up question. So for those listeners who have that dark murmur in their chest and they're saying, you know, I think I'm going to be going through a divorce or I'm considering it, what would you tell people to do in advance of that? Obviously, there's the mentally you get to an emotional place and you've had it and you sort of cross that particular bridge. But to be responsible to yourself financially, what should you be doing in parallel while you're going through this decision making process? The first is not a financial decision. It's an emotional one. Get the support you need with therapy. Uh, I'm a huge advocate for that. So I think anyone and everyone should do that if they're making a big decision like that to make sure it's the right one. And then the financial decision, I always, I say this on any seminar I'm presenting at, anywhere I'm talking, I absolutely am a huge advocate for having something in your own name, sole ownership, a little account. I don't care. You have to have something because a lot of the times what I see is if you have been the housewife for 10 years, let's just use 10 years. Well, you're not building credit. You have nothing under your name. You don't even know where the accounts are. You need some kind of account in your name. And if you wait through the divorce process, let's say you end up getting divorced. And then after the divorce, you try to open an account. You might not even be able to qualify. It's the saddest situation, but it happens. So you really need to have something in your name. And if you can move over, swipe over a little bit of money, great. And then a credit card is also another thing. I'll tell listeners though, before you give this advice to your clients, make sure that they have a safe environment to do so. Because if a spouse sees that you're opening an account in your own name, that could be suspicious, that could set off red flags. And there is times where that creates more conflict. So you really need to do it carefully if you do that at all. And then get a conversation in with a divorce attorney, a mediator, someone who could be just a consultant in the divorce law arena doesn't mean you're getting divorced. Just having a conversation and understanding your rights and what you can do is very helpful. So I always recommend that as well. And they'll say, as just as I'll say, is for that privacy, if you did open an account, you really just paperless statements, have an email that has a different password to it. That's just having that account attached to it or that credit card attached to it just as a backup financially. Well, and it's also, I think it's good advice for parents, for their kids, which is to get started building your own financial independence, own your own accounts, start getting involved with investing, making decisions around things. This is a completely separate (laughs) off-ramp we just went on, on the conversation. But for parents and for 
women in particular who are getting divorced, et cetera, a legacy that they can leave for their kids is saying, you know what, I'm in a tough spot now. The way to protect yourself from this is to build your own financial independence. And I just throw that out there as a separate bon mot. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I love that. That is one of the most fun conversations to have is talking about the wealth and generational wealth and actually having it last to your children and having them understand finances. Because a lot of the times what you and I see in my past, at least in wealth management and your future and what you are presently doing is the kids either don't know anything or they're given everything and they have no idea what's going on. And so they either have a huge attitude or they want to completely get away from the family. There's a lot that goes into money, especially when you go to the affluent higher levels. So I love what you're saying is have that conversation. And it also gives the control of the female of I'm teaching them something and I'm really helping them not get in the same mistakes I'm in. So love financial literacy for children. Love it. Another sort of side note, same sex couples. Are you seeing that in your practice more? And is that becoming more prevalent? Are there any issues that are different in that realm than in traditional marriages? At this point, I haven't had any same sex couples because my marketing is so targeted to women who have been controlled by men for so many years as either the housewife that hasn't been managing the finances. So I refer if someone is reaching out or at this point, we'll see in the future, but it's every relationship, as you've probably seen 50% of the time, you're going to see someone in the relationship doesn't want to talk about the money. They avoid it. And the other person manages it, likes to do it. So it's the exact same, same sex couple. One of that person you're going to see, they really enjoy doing the finances. The other one doesn't. So helping the one that needs the advocacy that needs the education is really key. So going back to your business model a little bit here, you don't manage money, correct? Mm -mm, no. So there are going to be a lot of RIAs and wealth managers who say, this is a lot of advice and how does this work? And I don't manage money, does not compute. How does your business model work and how do you make sure that you get paid for the, what I think is going to be the unbelievable value that you deliver? So it is very unusual. And that's why when I ask, when someone says, oh yeah, I manage money and I have a divorce practice as well. And then they say they work with one or two divorcees and it really isn't they're not doing anything that adds value. It is an interesting concept that I completely broke away from that assets under management, any of that nature, and just focus on one thing. But the business model, all it is, is literally have a conversation or they're referred over. So they already know what I do. And I just tell them my fee and it's good to go. And I send them the invoice. It's done. It's really not a difficult situation for me. So I have to say it's because of the work I did with the career coach on owning my value. So when I send them the bill for 3,500 and that's only five 45 minute sessions, and that's to talk during divorce as an analyst, work through whatever cash flow needs we have, the education process, really listening to what she actually is going through and where she is in the stage of divorce, those five 45 minute sessions. I mean, that's a lot of money per hour if you really add it up. And I have no issue. I've never had one person say it's an issue. And that's my business model. It's impressive. And it's interesting too, because I think the world of financial planning and AUM assets under management, it's my personal opinion that that is under attack. People are going to look at it and say, what am I paying for? And what advice am I getting? What are you doing that's different from my accountant? What are you doing that's different from somebody else? 
And so the ability to go out there and demonstrate your worth and show people what they are paying for and the exact advice that they're getting, I think that's where the world is going. So I take great interest in your success with that. I agree because it's a conflict of interest in my mind for me to say to her, well, you have all these properties and I really think that you should, here's your options, but underlying I could be having a bias of, well, if she sells all the properties, that's cash that I can invest for her and assets and her management. That's what I get paid off of. That's a conflict for me in the divorce process to not give her the options and then let her decide the very best one. Cause she might need to keep one of those properties because she can't afford another mortgage. We don't know. So in that circumstance, I really do value my business model because I am no conflict of interest. And I actually get a lot of referrals from financial planners across the US because I can come in, help with the divorce situation and then leave. And there's no conflict. I'm not trying to take the clients from them and I'm really doing what's in the best interest. So it's a great model. And also what you said, the assets and management, I think it is under attack. And that's why, I mean, you can go somewhere and get an ETF for no cost at all. There has to be more than just assets and management. You're putting me in a model You have to give that advice, education, something. And if you have hundreds of clients, you cannot give really, really good attention to each client if they're paying a really big fee that, I don't know, we could have a whole discussion on that today. (laughs) (laughs) Those discussions are out there. As we wind down here, you're based in the Pacific Northwest. Are all your clients sort of geographically located there? Are you getting feelers from all across the country or beyond? So it's actually quite interesting. New York, California is where it started. And now it's a little more in the Pacific Northwest and internationally. So there's a lot in Australia, Mexico, England, France, those questions where it's not during divorce because I cannot help with international affairs, tax law. I'm not going to get involved in that. But the post-divorce consulting Helping with the finances is very, very much a worldview. It's the same everywhere. And the emotions that are attached to your childhood and how you dealt with money and scarcity effect, all these different biases that we have, I can help with that. So it's been interesting having people from different cultures calling, not just on the East Coast and the West Coast, because that's a different worldview, right? We do different things. But so far, it's been a really fun process to have it expand so quickly. Olivia, this has flown by and we could, I'm pretty sure, talk for hours about all sorts of different sort of branches that come off of this pretty, certainly interesting practice, but also one where the value is just huge that advisors can add in. In the meantime, how do we keep track of you? How do our listeners find you if they're interested? So Summerhill Wealth Management, that's the name, look it up online. And it's really, again, tailored to my niche. So Unless you have a client going through that process or unless you're a divorce professional, it's not going to give the resources because there is a resources page, but it's geared towards divorce women, ultra high net worth. So (laughs) just saying out there, don't look me up if you're not in that process with clients because it's not going to benefit you at all. No problem. And I'll have the website in the show notes and I will be watching with great interest. Olivia, thank you so much for coming on. And in the meantime, any parting thoughts? for our listeners, especially anybody who's thinking about that divorce process? If anyone's thinking of the divorce process, gather your team, ask questions. That's always the best way to start. So it doesn't mean, again, that you're getting divorced. So just asking questions and understanding your options is always key. Gives you control. 
Terrific. Olivia, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to wealthactually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book, and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually. Wealth Actually.